And just as we stand, can we pray together? Father, we do come to bless your holy name. We do come to seek your face. We do come to worship your son. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray now that as we gather in this place, that you would pour out your spirit once again upon us. That you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that we might see and hear you and be transformed into your image for the glory of your name. Lord, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. Please be seated. <clears throat> Hear once again the words of the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Let me read that again. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, I must confess that every time I read this text, um, I have uh, evoked within me a whole bunch of different emotions and thoughts. Every time. I read this. The first is shock. I'm always startled to hear these words spoken. <laughs> Bold words, right? Big words. It takes my breath away, and I almost thought myself going, whoa, really? Be imitators of me. Then that shock uh, almost inevitably turns to some kind of offense. Whoa, <laughs> you gotta be kidding me, right? Why do you think that I need to imitate you, Paul? <laughs> you not think I can live my life on my own, <laughs> right? There's always that little bit of, eh, really? <laughs> you dare say that to me? But then, almost very quickly after that, that sense of pushing back on it, there's always the reason why the pushing back, and there's this feeling ultimately of deep shame. Because I know that I wouldn't have the spot to say that to anybody else. Right? I know 
that there are so many different areas of my life that are simply not worthy to be imitated. Paul did not. Those are some of the emotions that, again, go through my head every time I read this text. Um, And then once I get them on the table, I go, okay, now what do I do with that? (laughs) Because it's still here. It's still addressing me, and God has got my attention, and boy, did he get my attention this week with this text. It dawned on me that Paul knows, not just assumes, but he knows something. He knows that you and I will either come to imitate him, or we will continue to imitate someone else imitate someone other than and lesser than him. That's just the reality behind this text. That's just the dilemma he he sort of confronts us. He goes on to say, for many, many, he says, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Get the picture. Here is the apostle writing to a church that he founded, speaking about other church leaders. Do you hear that? It's not the enemies. It's not outsiders. These are many leaders within the church of that first generation. Many, he says, that I have told you before and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he says, you will either imitate me or you will come to imitate them. And you got to choose. That's the dilemma that he presents us with, as he presents that to the church in Philippi. And we got to take it seriously. We got to take it deliberately. And we got to take it consciously. So, where do we begin? Well, Here's my thinking. We've got to recognize that Paul is not simply talking about himself. He's not raising himself up and saying, I'm the greatest, just do what I'm doing, right? What he's saying is, you imitate me because I am striving to imitate Christ. That's what my life is all about. That's what my life is for you to be all about. That's the goal. We are to strive to imitate Christ himself in all of the facets of our life. His epistle, his entire epistle, and indeed his own pastoral ministry is founded upon that goal. Go back into the first chapter and he'll tell you why he's writing to them. Verse 27 of chapter 1, he writes this. He says, only. And when you get that, it's only, he means supremely. Mainly, this is what I want you to hear. This is what I long for you to do. Only, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only, supremely, let your manner of life be worthy 
of the gospel of Christ. So that when people look at the way you live your life, they are seeing the gospel of Christ. That's what he's saying. And that's his goal. He says, when he's imitating me, that's the goal. I want you to live this manner of life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. His entire apostolic ministry was founded in that to found communities and then to shape those communities into that way of living, okay? Now, he knows that if we are to have a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel, then we must do a few things. We must first, as in chapter 2, we must develop and grow into the mind of Christ. We have to begin to think as Christ thought. Uh, And it's not just to think as Christ thought, but to think of Christ thought as it affects our life. We need to embrace and develop the mind of Christ and embrace the pattern of the life of Christ. And that's what he does in the early part of chapter 2 of his epistle. He says this, have this mind, and it really is better, this mindset, this way of thinking which leads to a way of living. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, all right, you got to think this way into living this way. So here's this mindset, and he goes on to describe that pattern of life that Christ himself lived. He says this, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We are on holy ground here because this is one of the most uh, precious uh, portraits of Christ found in the New Testament, but we're going to quickly move through this. The apostle starts, though, with the mystery of the Godhead itself. Mystery of God who is in and of himself a triune God before creation, before anything else exists. He says this is the mystery. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not count his own divine status, his own status as a son, as something to be used for his own advantage. Is another way of translating it. This mindset is part of the quality of the interior quality and character of God himself. It begins there before it comes down to earth. That's what he's talking about. This is the way God is, and therefore this is what shapes what God does. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped. What? But made himself nothing made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man starts with the mystery of the godhead he now comes down to the mystery of the incarnation this action on this mindset led this son to empty himself, to make himself nothing, to take on the form of the creature that he has made in his own image. It's a remarkable statement. 
but he chose to make himself nothing flowing out of that mindset that he possessed as the Son of God. He goes on, being found in human form, he humbled himself. There's again the mindset that leads to action. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, now he's talking about Christ's glorious, humble life and his inexplicable death and saying it all flowed out of this mindset, this obedient mindset, this humble mindset, this loving mindset that was his as part of the character of God. And that pattern of life and that mindset which led to that pattern of life is the way of the cross. That's what he said. The apostle says that the Son of God loves the Father and lives his life for the Father. He loves the Father and he empties himself for the Father. That's what he's doing in the Godhead itself. And because the Son loves the Father and lives his life for the Father, he comes to love that which his Father loves, that which his Father has created through the Son, even his wayward creation. And he loves what the Father loves, and he loves it in the way that the Father wills it to be loved, the way the Father needs it to be loved, if it is to achieve the Father's goals for this creation. It needs to be loved humbly. It needs to be loved obediently. It needs to be loved self-sacrificially. Because of that mindset, it leads to that pattern of life. Even unto death. Even to death on a cross. And what is the result of such a life? Total and utter vindication. Therefore, is the very next word. Because of this mindset, which led to this pattern of life, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amazing. Therefore, God has exalted him. <laughs> He's already done it. I mean, he is describing, again, this intervention of God into his creation and for his creation. The son who empties himself because he has this mindset that leads to this life. 
allows the Father's purposes for his creation to be fulfilled, all for the glory of the Father. He has done it so that this human being, Jesus, shares the very name of God, the name above all names, and that every knee and every tongue will bow and confess that he himself is Lord. Utter, utter vindication. Paul is convinced that Christ has achieved all of that, and so becomes convinced that this mindset and this pattern of life consciously chosen now by the church of Christ, flowing from love and issuing in love, self-sacrificial love, oriented to the Father and directed by the Father, is the only life that will be vindicated, is the only life that will last. He knows that. He knows that if you and I are to live a life, to walk in the way of the cross, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, then we must embrace this mindset and live this pattern. It has to happen. So how does he encourage us to do that? Well, he does a lot of things in this epistle that we can't get into. It's really a remarkable thing. Uh, But let me say one thing uh, that relates again to our exhortation this morning. One of the things that he does that flows from this chapter is that he raises up the profile of certain leaders within the church that embody this pattern. That's what he's doing in the latter half of chapter 2 that concludes with our text that we read this morning. He talks about two men in particular, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is his apprentice, the one who helped him found the church in Philippi and now is with Paul in in most likely Rome in prison and he will be the one taking this letter to the Philippians. He says this in chapter 2 verse 19, He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, right? Because he can't go himself. And he says this, for I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Wow. He goes on, they all, who's they? All of the other leaders in the church in Rome. All of them. They all, he says, seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. They have not yet embraced the mindset of Christ. They have not yet embraced the pattern of Christ. But guess what? Timothy has. Timothy has. And so I am eager to send Timothy to you because he's the only one willing to go to you. But you're good. 
because he knows what I'm talking about. Do you hear that? Timothy alone of all of the leaders in the church of Rome had in the apostle's mind embraced the mindset and lived the pattern. He alone, I can say. Wow. Goes on to talk about Epaphroditus. Now, Epaphroditus uh, was from Philippi, who had been sent by the church in Philippi to minister to Paul in prison, taking him gifts, monetary gifts, other kinds of gifts. And it's a long journey from Philippi to Rome, and Epaphroditus became deathly ill on this journey, almost died, Paul tells us in that chapter. And he says, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you because you have heard and heard rumors and are concerned about him, but let me tell you about him. He says this, I have thought it necessary, verse 25 of chapter 2, to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my needs. And then verse 29, so receive him with all in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Why? For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He says, I want to tell you about your friend Epaphroditus, your emissary to me. He's become my fellow soldier. He is like Timothy now to me. Why? Because he gets the mindset and he follows the pattern. He was willing to risk his life for you, risk his life for me all because of the cause of Christ. He has embraced this mindset. He is living this life. So I'm sending him back to you, and you need to honor him. Raise him up in your estimation. For he has indeed embraced this pattern and this mindset. But again, Look at what he does. He draws their attention and ours to these two men, these two leaders within the church, one well-known to them, one not so well-known to them, and says, look, they are among the few, not the many, among the few who get this who truly have embraced this mindset, are living this pattern. He says, I want to draw your attention to them. Look for these. And then he says, because they live this way, I want you to honor these. I want you to lift them up in your own estimation. And then having said that, to honor them, to say, and to prize them exactly for this trait and for none else. And then, having pointed them out and having raised them up to honor, he then issues his exhortation, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on them and others like them who walk in the way of the cross. So three tasks, he says, look for men and women 
who embrace this mindset and live this pattern. That's your first task. Look for them. Where are they? Right? Honor them. Raise them up in your estimation. Because if you haven't looked for them, you're not honoring them. You're probably following somebody else for honoring them for a different reason. He says, make sure this is what you're looking for, and when you see it, honor that person. Raise them up, and then get around to imitating them. Look, honor, imitate. That's the process. That's the way we come to walk in the way of the cross. And I think that's a pretty good place to start. And so I'm going to suggest that uh, in our fasting time, where we create space to be in the presence of God, which is what Lent's all about, right? Take some of that time this week and ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself, who do I know? Who is in my sphere of relationships within the church? Who do I know who demonstrably has embraced this mindset and is striving to live this pattern? Just sit with that for a while and name them. Think about why you're naming them. What have they demonstrated to you? How have they done it? Give examples. Look for these, says Paul. And then having done that, ask yourself, am I honoring these people? Am I raising them up in my own estimation, simply because they have embraced this mindset and are following this pattern. And if I'm not, who am I honoring? <laughs> and for what reason am I honoring? See, we are imitating those we honor. That's the bottom line. And if we're not imitating or honoring the folks who are actually embracing this pattern, and this mindset, we are honoring somebody else who is not. Do you hear that? Right? And then having asked, am I honoring them? And what would it look like to honor them? Go on to ask the question, how might I begin to imitate them? Would I have the courage to ask them for help. Who knows? They might even give it to you. Right? Look for such people. Honor such people. Imitate such people. And in time and by the grace of God, you will become such people. 
That's the way of grace. That's the way of the cross. And we will find ourselves living a life worthy of the gospel. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.